3: Good morning, this is Bennett Kelly. Welcome to another edition of Cyber Law and Business Report, broadcasting live from the Internet Law Center here in downtown sunny Santa Monica. Please be seated. Um, we're here in the heart of Silicon Beach, and today is the first day of Silicon Beach Fest. So, um, thank you for joining us once again. Um, our guest today, we, I, you might even say we have multiple guests today. Um, We have Dan Lyons, who's the author of the bestseller, Disrupted, My Adventures in the Startup Bubble, which the Los Angeles Times has called the best book about Silicon Valley today. Um, We also have a brilliant satirist who has written, um, first became well-known as Fake Steve Jobs and the author of The Secret Diary of Steve Jobs. And we kind of have a a modern-day Norman Ray, who is... um, exposing kind of the ageism in the tech industry. Um, and fortunately, it, given our budget, it, it's all one person. It's Dan Lyons. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful. Thanks. And so, um, and also I left out, he's also been contributing um, screenwriter for the, the hit um, HBO show, Silicon Valley. And we were just talking about that offline. Um, some of the funny lines he's been able to get in. So thank you for joining us. Uh, as usual, our show notes are available at um, cyberlawradio.wordpress.com. And um, so you started your career in journalism, and and slow and, and migrated your way into tech journalism. How did that yeah. happen? <laughs>
4: um, very early on in my career, I was sort of working as a general interest. Reporter and copy editor, and a friend of mine was working at a, a trade magazine, and he said, "Look, you know, we should, we should, you should come over here and work here. This is going to be big. These computer, this whole computer industry thing is going to be huge." This was in the eighties, and uh, it seemed like a good idea to specialize in one area rather than just being a general interest reporter. So uh, I started off then just writing about, uh, you know, the computer industry, and so then you you landed at Forbes, was it? Eventually, yeah. Uh, I I spent, you know, I got to Forbes, and I spent ten years there as a tech reporter.
3: Where were you with the dot com crash?
4: At Forbes, so I covered the whole the whole uh, boom and the crash for Forbes, which was a very very cool place to be in the sense that we were always very skeptical about it, but um, but also sort of celebrating and making a lot of money. And I remember the first boom. All those companies spent a lot of their venture money buying ads on our awareness. So we really, uh, all of us in the in the press, did pretty well in the first boom, uh, but first bubble, say, Um, and then uh, um, covering the crash was also interesting
3: from from Forbes because you could just see how quickly it all collapsed.
4: Yeah,
3: Yeah. I mean, I I was in house at a at a company uh, at one point. It was one of the. The top game company sites in the web, SpeedyClick and then just quickly imploded to nothing. Um, but what was interesting, because in, you were talking in your book about um, what it was like to be at a magazine then, mm. and you, know, you guys were living the good life. You know, they're going to you're going to parties on you know Forbes yacht, and um, I mean, I remember Fast Company at that time. And that was like a hundred page, you know, a very, that was like a thick book. They In, all were.
4: Yeah. yeah. It was red herring. And exactly. What was the other one? Was, there were three of them. I think there was red herring. That's not me. No, there's another startup um, magazine. that just totally flamed. out like went away, but it was as big as a phone book for a while. They were amazing. Yeah. It was an amazing boom.
3: And, and so, um, I jumped forward in my head. I was at a LA press club awards dinner and the honoree was Ariana Huffington. And so this would be late two two thousands. Um, you know, first, first decade of the millennial. And, and she said, I'm not the reason you all are losing your jobs because by now at the end of the decade, we have all these newspapers going out of business. Uh-huh. Um, you know, that whole wave of folding, but, um, looking back who was more at risk um, by new media was it do you think newspapers or magazines
4: oh boy uh, i I don't know if you could say one they're both had it so 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 bad I don't know if you could say one had it worse than the other but um, uh-huh. yeah i uh, newspapers got hit on the classified ad side right Craig'slist and magazines got hit I think just uh, drop, the drop the out of those big, you know, multi page ad packages that people used to buy. But I, I in, in in both places you still see survivors and the and the survivors, it's interesting. The ones that have survived have survived kind of for the same reasons in that they do something unique or like the New Yorker. I don't think the New Yorker makes a lot of money, but it survives and gets on because you just can't get what they do anywhere else. And right. The New York, uh, New York Times and Wall Street Journal, to some extent, are, I guess, you know, somewhat similar situation. But yeah, um, I don't know, but magazines, we had it. Yeah, it was, it was,
3: it was pretty rough. And it seems that if they had to... I think they had to go digital more than a, a newspaper did, just because I think there's a certain residual base for newspapers, just because they have the local information. That you know that people are going to consume either way, you know the sports. You know they, they some people are going to buy this for the obituaries or whatever. Yeah. Uh, whereas magazines uh, aren't necessarily aren't necessarily considered, I think as essential to <laughs> daily life. I would. That's probably my guess.
4: Yeah, I mean that's what we ran into it. I went to Newsweek right after Forbes in in two thousand eight, and yeah, I, I I remember going there thinking. I'm a tech reporter. I cover this stuff. What am I thinking? Like, you know, the, the, who wants a news week, right? Like a, a weekly right. magazine about the news when when everything else is speeding up to not even daily, but but hourly. And then yeah. So, but I, I still I really wanted to work there because I just thought it was such um, interesting and, and good people there, and I wanted to work with them. And it was. Did it was you work that, in
3: Washington or in Boston?
4: Actually, it was well. I work from home in Boston, but the office was in in New York, so I would go down to New York, say one week out of the month. And right now, you're, you're calling from Boston, right? Yeah, yeah, I live in Boston still.
3: Um, so, looking at, you know, for example, you, you talk about ageism in, in tech, and we'll get to that in a minute. But you know, in manu- in journalism, to a certain extent, that's happening. Uh, I have a brother brother in law of mine. It was. Uh, Editor, of a bunch of Baltimore County weeklies, and you know, they, their manager quickly figured out that a guy in his 50s, you know, is talent may be talented, may have a lot of resources, um, but a kid in his 20s, 30 is uh, half cost half as much, and, and yeah, yeah, and, and so I don't. Were you seeing that in the bigger institutions, you know, where, where older people being kind of pushed out for cheaper, younger journalists?
4: Uh, yeah, well, when I Ended up getting let go at Newsweek, which was after Newsweek was sold and then sold again. So we were owned now by the Daily Beast and by IAC, so Barry Diller's internet company. When I got laid off, um, I think in the, in, in the first round what happened, anyway, when I got laid off, the, my editor said to me, look, I think we just want to take your salary and hire five kids right out of college. And I said, oh, okay, uh, yeah, oh, well, I get that. I mean, it sort of makes sense because I had been hired in in the old Newsweek with an old Newsweek print salary, and now we were... A digital company. Yeah, we're owned by a digital company, and, like, like, why are we going to... I think think it took him a year or two to kind of go, oh, wait a minute, look at how much we're paying this guy up in Boston. Why
3: are we getting out of here, you know? So So, um, (laughs) so that is where the story starts in Disrupted. Um, You're given the... The surprising news that your tenure at Newsweek has uh, that you've graduated <laughs> from Newsweek. And um, in fact, they, they can't even tell you who it is that uh, who, whose decision it was to fire you.
4: Um, yeah. Well, I think it was my friend, and she just didn't want to say it. So she said, Oh, they have decided.
3: Blah, 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 blah. It, right, the, the Donald Trump infamous day, or people say. He, many people but, are saying. I love that. <laughs> I love that throat, by the way. Many people but, are saying. Um, so you, you decide to, to make the move into going... You know, kind of jumping the line between what you reported and the actual companies, and you mentioned how you you had worked with other reporters who actually had jumped in. One had jumped into Microsoft, for example, and had quite a, a successful career at it. Uh, and so, what was your thinking in jumping into uh, you know a tech company?
4: Um, well, I was thinking that I looked around at my own industry and felt everybody's going out of of, out of business um and if i try to stay in journalism it's just going to be more of the same i don't see there's any big macro trend that says oh and just hang in and in five years things are going to be great again right so i've got to go do something else and then i thought well i mean look what's right in front of my face is i i write about technology i'm a i'm a technology journalist i'm covering an industry that's booming and my whole career i've seen you know people get amazingly rich on um, on these companies you know and, and regular people that I knew you know so um, I thought well why not why should't I do that and a lot of journalists were doing the same uh, they were oddly enough at the same time, a lot of tech companies were looking to hire journalists because they needed bloggers and they needed people who could write so or speech writers so there was actually more demand there was always some demand in tech companies or any company for former journalists because they uh, you know they could be speech writers or PR guys yeah. but um, the the uh, the larger uh, demand now was that they were all building their own media operations a lot of companies now operate their own Sort of uh, little uh, little media operations, so they need real journalists. So, a lot of my friends were getting you know, in in companies. So,
3: uh, and yeah. and so but you weren't just any random journalist. Uh, you actually had developed a a name for yourself, uh, largely not, of course, from your reporting. But you you actually developed uh, quite a bit of notoriety um, as, as someone other than yourself. Uh, could you explain that? Yeah,
4: while I was at Forbes, I um, <clears throat> I had started a blog where I pretended to be Steve Jobs, just kind of as a practical joke. And I thought I kind of thought wouldn't it be funny if Steve Jobs had a blog? He's like the one guy I really would like to hear from, and it'd probably be if he was really unvarnished he'd probably be kind of uh, you know obnoxious and, mm-hmm. and so you can, you could have some fun with that and um and so and this thing really took off and it ended up having a, a pretty big audience and uh people uh you know, people really re- responded to it and it was in the days when blogs were still kind of a new thing and there were there was this whole new every every week there would be some new blog you'd hear about and everybody was checking out. So it was fun to like get on to a new platform that was taking off and so yeah, so I did that and that actually became I actually wrote a book in that character of fake I created this character called Fake Steve Jobs and uh, <laughs> I did a book and then I did a, a I developed a cable TV show that never got made but sort of got way awesome. down, the, yeah. well, I, I worked with this. I sold it to a network, and then they, they never made the pilot. But so I sort of got dipped my toe in screenwriting because of it. So it was, yeah, it was very uh, like like this little practical joke just grew and grew and grew and became this kind of cottage industry uh, for me. And but, um,
3: yeah. but it it wasn't little within the, the tech community. In fact, like people at Apple. Found it to be eerily um, impression that you you seem to nail it on at times, and they thought, my God, it, it, the the similarity is almost spooky. And yeah, what was the, yeah. what was the type of feedback you were getting from Apple?
4: Nothing official from Apple. Like they never wrote to me, right? But um, uh, I I got to know some of them because later I had a job covering Apple. I didn't cover Apple at Forbes, so it was not really my beat, but. Uh, later, I was, and um, um, I think most of them thought it was funny. They got a kick out of it, and even the ones that, you know, occasionally I would be making fun of the, the lower-level people, like the head of PR or whatever, and um, so I think, I think that everybody sort of thought it was, it was kind of funny, and, and uh, you know, they, they got that it was just a joke. I was, wasn't trying to be super mean or anything.
3: We're going to take a break in a minute, but before I just want to uh, do a quick question. So the highlight for you must have been when uh, at a a at a convention featuring um, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. Bill Gates takes the stage and says, "I'm not the fake Steve Jobs." What 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 better validation (laughs) Uh, than that?
4: I, I have to tell you, I was freaking out when that happened, because I think, I think yeah, at that point, I was still anonymous, that's right, so I was, nobody knew who was doing it. that's the other thing, for over the first year or so, I, there was, this, there was this big mystery about, like, who's writing this, and, but I wasn't aware, I was always surprised when I find that somebody famous or whatever was reading it, and then, but that was the big one, you know, Bill Gates came out, and said I just before we start talking Steve I just want to say I'm not fake Steve Jobs and then Walt Mossberg asked the real Steve Jobs do you know about this site and he was like yes I do and do you, do you like it? and he was like he kind of like kind of gritted his teeth and he was like oh yes I I uh I think it's funny sometimes and
3: Right. Oh, what, what, what do you say? You can't say, "God damn it!" It pisses me off because then, yeah, <laughs> that would shoot up your, your, your readership. You know,
4: and and it makes him look bad. So I'm, sh- and it was very coached. I'm sure he was just. And then they said, "Well, that guy's got a book coming out. Do you know about that?" And he- do you think I'll read the book? And Josh was like, "No, I don't think I'll read the book." But um, <laughs> I don't think I don't think he necessarily liked it. Although I I I've had Apple people tell me after the fact that. Um, they were, you know, in some meeting and Jobs was saying, um, oh my, you know, oh my God, I don't know who's writing this, but it's kind of scary. I feel like the guy must be tapping my phone because that is how I feel about some issue, you know, that, that fake Steve would be ranting about. And, I mean, you could kind of guess where Steve Jobs, what his opinion would be about
3: well we're going to take a, a real commercial and then come back and talk again more with the, the real Dan Lyons after these messages you're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report stay tuned for more
2: of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this recess for our sponsors it's time to take your ad testing out of the Mesozoic era and into the Ezoic era Ezoic is the world's first machine learning platform creating tailored ad combinations to monetize your website our automated ad testing not only boosts ad income but increases page views improves bounce rate and will impress the user experience start your 30-day free trial today at ezoic.com and join thousands of publishers who are already earning 60 percent more with ezoic that's ezoi ezoic make your website smarter
1: Visit FjordDigital.com or call 612-877-3840 and get the support and protection your website and business deserve. That's F-J-O-R-G-E-Digital.com. Are you paying too much for your paid advertising? Or have you quit altogether because it seemed like a huge waste of money? Studies show that companies waste 25% of their PPC spend on average – The web marketing experts at WMETraining.com can show you how to make your AdWords account a lean, mean converting machine. Whether you're just starting out or want to take your skills to the next level, we have a class for you. Contact the web marketing experts at WMETraining.com.
2: More refreshing talk radio on air and on demand 24-7, only on Cranberry Radio. The best gavel to gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Here is Bennett Kelly.
3: Oh, you're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report. Um, and we're back here with Dan Lyons. And that was a lame impersonation. But in any event, um Your book Disrupted, has a number of stories in it that are parallel to each other. And there, there are two levels of disruption, it seems. The first is a disruption of your career um, with the opening chapter of what happens in Newsweek. Um, then you go to a, a disruptor, this new innovative um, tech company. And, and then this is also kind of comical, um, you know, Mike Judge type of send-up of this Tech, you know, this almost you know, can not shoot straight tech company with its ridiculous phrases such as, you know, when someone's fired, they, it's, a, it's a graduation. And, and then there's this kind of, um, but a more serious part of what, what, what is going on in this disruption within the company in terms of um, how you, you make numerous comparisons to, uh, you know, the, the sweatshops in, the, in textiles, and now you have these content mills. And you know, and what are the millennials? What are they get getting for all of everything they're get giving up? You know, and what are they uh, in terms of? You know, okay, I give you, I give you cookies and free juice, but you know, we, are, is that what you want to give everything up for? And so, let's start with the first thing. You know, you you were a successful journalist. You are in your fifties, and all of a sudden, boom! Um, you know, the life that you, you had expected to live changed. You know. Inalterably, and, and there's no signs that that life's going. It's going to be hard to get back to that in in your industry, you know. And kind of, it's but you're not necessarily. It's not. There's nothing unique about that story, particularly in journalism. Um, whereas you, know, our generation before us, you know, that that's not something that happened when they were in their 50s. They were kind of an autopilot and just cruising for the next 20 years until their retirement.
4: Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think you're right, um, and I also think that there was, it's, a, it's an odd situation for people of my age, I'm in my 50s now, so, you know, I entered the workforce in the last century, with, I guess, what were last century expectations, that was sort of based on the career or the work life that my father had, which was, you go to work for one company and you spend your life there and you retire with a gold watch and a pension and healthcare for life. And um, that kind of got blown up in midway through my career. And then certainly in 2008, when there was the real big crash, um, and the internet has contributed to that as well. And so there's been, and there's like a new set of rules of engagement between employers and employees. And if you were 60, when everything blew up, you could just kind of take early retirement and slide out of the workforce. And if you were 22, you're coming in, and this is just the way you expect things to be. But, but people a, in my age, I think, um, I, at least I know myself, I, I remember feeling just kind of like, wait a minute. Who changed the rules? Who? How did everything, you know, how did this happen, and how do I adapt to that? How do I change in mid-career? Because I don't think employers really want to help. I don't think they're looking to help uh People, you know, learning a skill. They're just like, fine. We'll go. We'll we'll hire young kids. You know. So yeah, there's this sort of lost generation, and I'm a member of it. that, that is, um, uh, uh, is kind of caught between these two
3: worlds. And and that I, I think, in you in a, in a kind of a macro scale, I think we see that at play this year in the election. You know, to a large extent, there are a lot of people who, are in some shape or form, whether it was because of their fifties or because their industry segment is gone, they are disruptive. You they're, they're kind of the voter um, angst is maybe because they are disrupted by something going on in the economy of the world today.
4: I agree, and I think I think at both ends of this spectrum. So you look at Trump on the far right, and then Bernie Sanders on the far left. In a way, they're they're. Fans are reacting to th- th- that. What you just mentioned, right? That the, everything's changing. They're kind of looking for someone to blame. I actually think the the big blame is the internet itself. That the that the sort of you know nut graph version of our time will be the internet was invented and everything blew up, right? And and that. But there was more to it than that. This globalization so but, right. Um, but yeah, I think. So people are upset about this, and and they don't know who to blame. And so, if you're on the Trump end of the spectrum, you have a certain set of villains. If you're on the Bernie Sanders end of the spectrum, you have another different set of villains. But uh, but yeah, I think that that you're absolutely right, and that's that's uh, that's actually what I'm trying to write about in my in my next book that I'm still trying to get together is this idea that um this this uh, phenomenon is is bigger than just you know my little story of getting laid off and trying to reinvent myself. It's a, it's a, a generational story about, uh, a, a, about a big shift in society and the world.
3: And, and, right. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's, Disrupted, I think, is a very apt title for your book because of you know, the kind of the dual meaning and the dual application. But in, in terms of you know, just focusing on you and, and, and the segment you're talking about, it's interrupted. You know, your life all of a sudden just got interrupted, and now you're put on a, a different track. And, uh, yeah. and the, all the rules have changed, and, and you had zero say in it. And I guess that's that's where the frustration comes. You know, I, I played by these rules, and I was all set to you know make it to the finish line, and you you put me in a new game.
4: Yeah, and it's at a time when in your fifties, when you're right, where I mean, maybe you're maybe you're coasting. I don't. Know, that, that, that's probably you know fair enough to some extent, but also where in days gone by, that's when you uh, were making the most money, right. and you're really socking it away in those last 10, 15 years of your career. Maybe your kid, in my case, I had young kids, but for most people, the kids are kind of grown up. So that was like the, the last 10 or 15 years where you had some sort of position of eminence in, in in your organization, and you, you know, but you didn't work maybe as hard as the young kids, but that's okay. You weren't there for, for that. You were there to whatever do other you know add value in other ways and 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 that's yeah that gets taken away and what was extra weird for me was that you know i'm a i'm a business journalist so i spent all these years writing about disruption and uh you know covering these things where like oh sun microsystems is getting blown up by this new rival and their whole market's going out. And, you know, 10,000 people are getting laid off. And I would write about these things and never really give thought to the fact that until I went through it myself, like those 10,000 people are 10,000 people with a spouse and kids and right. scrambling now to to start over. And uh, I think I had been a little glib as a journalist in covering these things and sort of saying, well, this is a good thing. This is how the economy grows and things change over and the old dies and the new rises. And um, it was different to be going through it and
3: and, uh i think so you do land well you will you land
4: (laughs) i land and i make a bad decision though i I land and i go to a startup um hubspot hubspot in Boston
3: Can can you explain in two sentences what hubspot does
4: hubspot makes software that you used by marketing departments inside big companies or by small business owners who need to do marketing for their little company, for their flower shop or or, um, plumbing business. And it's built around creating, it's marketing that's built around creating a blog and trying to drive traffic to your blog and then converting that traffic, those readers, into customers for whatever you're selling. So it's it's a set of tools, software tools, very easy to use. That Let's say the example of a flower shop. You and I had a flower shop. We could subscribe to HubSpot software over the Internet for, I don't know, 500 bucks a month. And we would use that to create a blog and <clears throat> send out email to uh, anybody we had in our email database and try to get business so that when someone in our town looked up, I need to send flowers. We would show up at the top of their, the Google search results. Um, that wasn't two sentences. I'm sorry, but but essentially, <laughs> it's software that. Lets, that was kind of the point. <laughs> yeah, it's software that lets small businesses find customers. So okay. That's, uh, uh, yeah. Using using online tools like email and blogs.
3: I, I kind of sus- suspected that the answer was no, but it, it was interesting to, to hear it. But. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> you go to HubSpot. And what was your expectation of what that would be like? Um, well, it was...
4: I, I thought it was going to be really cool and I was going to learn a lot for a couple... Uh, I, I, I knew it was going to be, you know, different than journalism. But uh, the two founders were from MIT. I thought, oh, they're really smart. And and I do think that, that marketing is being reinvented. And the way people... Uh, buy and sell um, <clears throat> products online is changing. And, and I think they're on to something with this. So I kind of thought, these guys are kind of hot. This is going to be cool. This is a, a cool company that's going to have a, uh, a big IPO, and I'm going to uh, be there for it. That's, uh, I, I kind of thought it was going to be a cool adventure.
3: And, and, and actually, an important point, that they are a pre-IPO company, um, and one other important point is we, we use the word Silicon Valley, and you explain in your book, you, that is not a geographic term. That is um, referring to this kind of whole um, tech disruptive um, type of environment, whether it's in Sil- um, Silicon Valley, Boston, Austin, Seattle, wherever. Or L.A., where you are, Silicon Beach. Silicon yeah. Beach, yeah. 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 Although there, <laughs> there is a that's a unique subculture. Is uh, it? Well, I mean, it's you get the whole L.A. flavor of it. You know, the kind of the dude part of it. Um, but it, it, is, you know, it is taking off. And actually, you know, as I mentioned at the start of the show, today's Silicon Beach Fest. And, you know, that started off as a small show. And it's actually now, you know, now in its fifth year or sixth year. And, um, you know, the, the business here, the, Silicon Beach is taking off. In part, I think what's happening is what everyone predicted at the start of the Internet the integration of media and you know, so everyone is down here because of content and media and that's what LA is. LA is a content town, but there's also non-con, I mean, Dollar Shave Club, that's not content. That's, that's just great marketing, you know? And, uh, so, you know, it's, it's not, that's not strictly the story. Um, so you go, <laughs> you're, you're in Boston, um, is the office in Boston? Uh yeah, in Cambridge. Yeah. Cambridge. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and so um there's certain parts of this that are just quite comical. Like you, you 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 make a reference to um you make a reference to the fact that you were reading a book on Scientology and the uh you see certain parallels of cultism even.
4: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and brainwashing and groupthink, and uh, uh, yeah, it started kind of freaking me out. Like, I, I had never seen people who were so uncynical and so sort of believing of everything they were fed, and there was this idea that, you know, you try to motivate people by telling them how important our work is, and we're on this important mission to save the world and make the world a better place, and we're so lucky to be here, and we're so special. It was very evangelical. Very, very much like that.
3: Felt very much like a religion. And um, th- there's some <clears throat> weird things you talk about. And it, it explain the fact that the one of the founders would bring a teddy bear to meetings.
4: Yeah, Dharma Shah. He had a. He wrote a big article for LinkedIn about how he thought customers were so important, which is you know okay, duh, but. Um, and he would bring it. He'd started bringing a teddy bear to meetings and putting this teddy bear. He called it Molly. So he would put her in the chair and with his management team, and they would have to have the teddy bear remind them all that they, no matter what decision they make, they had to think about the customer. The you know, customer comes first. And um, yeah, I, I, and I just thought that was you know hilarious, right, and crazy and kind of funny. I mean, if that ever anybody thought I've ever been in my life, if if the boss. Did that, and then wrote about it. and Was so happy about it. I thought, oh my god, everybody would be laughing at this guy behind his back. But, but nobody did. Like the crazier thing than the teddy bear was that nobody out of these five hundred people made fun of the teddy bear. Everybody thought, oh, that's that's really cool. Darmesh is so innovative. And I'm like, have I gone you know down the rabbit hole? Am I living in crazyland? Oh, and then I start thinking, maybe I'm crazy. Maybe the whole world has changed, and everybody brings a teddy bear now, and I'm. I'm the one who doesn't get it. I'm the old guy, you know. Um,
3: Clean so to your pet yeah. rock,
4: <laughs> Clean to my pet rock, yeah. Or just you know, I, I anyway. So it was yeah. It was it was one of these moments where I, I actually called a friend of mine and said, "This guy, look, read this article. and Tell me, am I am I crazy?" And he was like, "No, no, no. You're not crazy. Get out of there. You know, they're, they're nuts. Those people are, are nutty. But you know, they were. It was part of a larger thing, which is uh, they just wanted to reinvent everything about businesses and companies. And they were going to change the way everything was done. And um, so, uh, you know, that was... that was. They were open to anything, which in a way is good. In a way, it's kind of a...
3: But there's also a sense of uh, hubris about it. And I, I remember... Oh, yeah. And I don't know if you, you must have heard this a thousand times and, and tried not to throw up an equal number of times that in, at, during the, the pre dot com crash, the oh, it's not the bottom line, it's the top line. Yeah, like, that uh, 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 Hello, I mean, the, the rules of economics didn't change just because it's, you know, and, and this whole kind of sense of that Internet utopianism, that, the, oh, it's a new world, you don't understand the Internet. And when the Internet is really just a, a means of distribution, it's another channel.
4: Yeah, but there's this is somehow magical thinking that attaches to it that says, uh, no, you can actually, um, you can... Uh, <clears throat> You can go on forever and never make a profit, right? Like right. That somehow that's possible. And um, But partly it is that the market is rewarding companies for top-line growth and not worrying about profits. Although now, and just in the past six months you've seen this shift where people are now starting to sort of insist on profitability and you see companies trying to either become profitable or show that they're cash flow positive or they're getting closer to being profitable. They're profitable in one part of the world, you know. Um so I think there is some uh there is some interest now in profits. But yeah, that's what I was seeing when I was there. It's like nobody is paying any attention to profitability. It's just um just, you know, grow, grow, grow as fast as you can.
3: Well one person paying attention to profitability is is our producer and we, we're going to take a short break. We'll come back. When we talk to more of uh, Disrupted with deadlines after these messages.
2: Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report at this brief recess for our sponsors Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at OrangeHillDevelopment all of your favorite Webmaster Radio.fm programs.
0: Affiliate Buzz. Next Gen Now.
2: CEO Coach. Cyber Law and Business Report. Have found a new home. SEO Rockstars. SEM Synergy. Webcology.
1: SEO 101.
2: PPC Rockstars.
1: First Strings with Maria Retan.
2: All of your favorite Webmaster Radio.fm programs have found a new home. Cranberry Radio. Cranberry.fm. A more refreshing kind of talk radio. Cranberry Radio. Cranberry.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Here is Bennett Kelly.
3: And we're back and we're talking to Dan Lyons. And before I jump in, I just want to give a great shout-out to our good friend Brenda Christensen um who you know from our year end um heroes and zeroes show. Um Brenda's the one who introduced us to Dan, so um thank you again, Brenda. So um we we come to the our final segment and the big issue that sees it really been resonated from your book is and it comes a year after the whole um Ellen Powell trial where um, Silicon Valley, with when, when essence, is on trial for, and then its lack of diversity as to gender. But you you just raise a, another issue: it's the, the ageism in Silicon Valley, and um, but as well as its its lack of diversity as a whole. And a, what what is your impression there?
4: Um, I think it's a a really big problem. And in fact, I I did a panel with Ellen Powell. Uh, uh, a month or so ago in in Oakland about this, where I think yeah I encountered what I think was bias on on the axis of age, but when I looked around at HubSpot, I could see that there was also a problem with bias on race and even gender, and and then it occurred to me, oh, these things kind of all go hand in hand, and um, and I, I guess I I. I'm taken aback because I want to believe that the tech industry really is progressive and trying to make the world a better place, and really is committed to um, equality and you know sort of basic values. That, and but when you look at how they proceed, from the startups to the big companies, they're really not doing that, and and I, I find it uh, a very very disturbing, and and they I don't think there's any hope of them changing you know it's very very upsetting and disturbing the way tech companies are behaving
3: and it what type of reaction are you getting is, is the ages i gotta you know gotta tell you yeah i'm just a year younger yeah. than you and i go to trade shows and you know there is that kind of the frat party culture and uh you know it's it's a very young um predominantly male culture
4: yeah, there's this bro culture thing that's I think it's kind of new in tech and it's um it is definitely uh definitely weird and I I don't know, you know, I don't know who decided that a frat house was the great model for how to build a company, but that's kind of they they have, you know, they have these guys who are kind of frat guys who they have this concept called uh, culture fit and they say, well, You know, we hire people that we want to go have a beer with after work. It's really important that you fit in with the culture here. Um, But I'm not sure if that's the best way to hire people based on who you want to have a beer with. And uh, I think what it ends up creating is this lack of diversity because people hire people who remind them of themselves. And so white guys hire white guys. And, um, yeah, it's it's an insidious thing. And, And...
3: and I, I guess you would get a culture, you, you kind of get a, a, a homogeneous culture in a way, you know, oh, where, you, you, where most people's favorite quote is, did we give up after the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor, rather than you know, any, anything else more sophisticated than that. Not that that's yeah. not a great quote, but. So where did that come from? Yeah, that's from that's a Pluto in, in Animal House.
4: Oh right, yeah, yeah, right. That's right, that's right. Yeah, he's trying to motivate the guys in, in yeah. House. Uh, do we get one? Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. <laughs> then, you know, shut up. He's on a roll. And, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And but, so I mean, how is there? How does that change? <clears throat> I mean, is, is, it, is it my field that has to change? Does the law have to say, wait a minute? Or is it... I, um, yeah, maybe.
4: I think there is a, a law angle. I, you know, I was also on that panel with Ellen Powell. There was a, a, a labor lawyer in yeah. the Bay Area. But her, her her feeling was that, like, lawsuits don't work. I mean, there, there are laws, but it's just very hard to win any of those suits. So she had become, I think, almost jaded about the... Uh, or, or, or Disappointed that um, that it, it, in, in, in getting redressed that way. I mean, I think honestly that the, the people who run these companies aren't going to change unless they think they can make more money. Change they'll they'll benefit them financially. I just don't think there's any. I don't. Think, I, I, they'll they'll pay lip service to diversity, but they won't really do anything unless they they are forced to.
3: But that's the irony, because okay the one place where there are gray hairs, it would be with the VCs and they're not telling them, Hey, why don't you bring into some gray hairs to kind of, you know, tap their collective wisdom and steer you towards the next level. Um, they're like, fine, you know, bro culture, well, yeah, invite me to the party.
4: Yeah. In fact, there was, um, you know, there, there was a time and I, I know I sound like grandpa Simpson, but it, it was the standard <laughs> practice for a long, long time that, that, if you had a young founder, you paired him up with a a gray hair, right? So uh, Bill Gates and Paul Allen, they brought in uh, a guy named John Shirley, who was the, the first, I think he was the CEO of Microsoft, or he was president, I forget what his title was, but he basically, right. he was a more experienced guy. And then at Apple, they they paired jobs up with, actually even before Scully, there were other grown-ups in there with him. and. Uh, and at Google, even John uh, Doerr at, at Kleiner Perkins insisted that they get Eric Schmidt, and th- they, this was pretty, pretty, pretty much conventional wisdom. Um, and in the last bubble, in this last bubble, there's just been this change in which people are now seem to believe that the founders are better off being left to their own devices, you know, and you don't want to bring in adult supervision. Just let let boys be boys. And I don't know who. Thought that. I guess they feel like the founders will chafe under the <clears throat> the control of a, of a gray hair or it, it actually may be that um, because there's so much money competing for deals now, the founders, the entrepreneurs are in, in a much more powerful position than they've ever been before. So maybe that they can just drive that bargain and say I'm not going to take your money if you're going to insist on me. Bringing in a grown-up, so I'll right. go. Get I'll go myself. to this
3: other incubator where you know it, we're, we're having a jacuzzi and um, t- tequila. Yeah, and so uh, and so Not they'll look
4: around,
3: until, you know, with
4: that. But I mean, yeah. they have a lot more power, and and so yeah. you have these. I, yeah, uh, you know, and I think maybe that sort of started with Zuckerberg, where he he, he very he was smart. He brought in Charles Sandberg, but he also um, he also rig things so that he controlled all the stock in the company he could never be pushed out um but I, I think there is a sense that um these young guys know what they're doing we should just all get out of their way and um some do i guess but i'm, I'm not sure all of them do
3: but is so is that is that the next disruption the the the, the hubris wake-up call when someone says oh you you you, you were right so we started to see some
4: explosions. Like this company, benefits had a big yeah. you know, blow because they were out of control. And, and uh, so you're starting to see some backlash. Again, I think it will be if people, if the people who put up the money start getting hurt, then you'll see you'll see change. But but not until. And um, right now, the market is so irrational that you know things just kind of keep going on, and nobody's 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 in any pain right now. So so. Nobody- we only have a few minutes left, so what's next for you? Uh, I'm trying to write a a uh, a book proposal, I'll do another book, and uh, maybe develop a TV show based on 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 this uh, on this book on Disrupted, about about this the stuff we've been talking about about trying to reinvent yourself and is that really possible and what is it like like when you know mom and dad get get laid off and suddenly you know there are bills to pay and you have to sort of quote unquote reinvent yourself. So, um, I think, I think there could be a funny comedy show in that or, or, or the world's most depressing TV show ever. I I don't know which, (laughs) maybe the latter, but, um, or it might start off funny and then just get really, really depressed. That's what people say about the book. They're like, it's really funny, but then about halfway in, it gets serious. And then it's really kind of heavy. I'm like, yeah, sorry about that.
3: (laughs) (laughs) No, um, you know, it, one of our first, you know, our first year, we had, we were fortunate to have a high school classmate of mine who's an author, um, Bill Powers, oh. who wrote um, Hamlet's Blackberry. And he's actually out of yeah. your way. Um, oh, he moved, yeah, yeah. He moved out to the North Shore. Um, oh, he, left, he left the, the Washington Post and National Journal, moved out to the North Shore. And he disconnected, and he wrote a book about it. And it, it was kind of a, a big hit. And... um and so I asked them what what was the reception in Silicon Valley, and it was, it was shockingly great. Like they were welcoming him in, and you know he was being brought in to talk to Google and Apple. They all wanted to hear this perspective. And I'm wondering, I'm I'm suspecting you're not getting quite the same welcome because you're not. Um, it's not just a theoretical thing. You're actually, in some ways, naming names. I am getting some invitations to come speak. Um, but, yeah, I
4: think uh, they don't want... I don't think anybody wants to bring you in and have you rant about diversity to them. Uh, so, Yeah. Uh, whereas, yeah, his thing... I'd love to meet him, by the way. Um, oh, I'll do an intro. Because yeah, I think people in Silicon Valley, that is like... It's so rare that they're offline that that is now more valuable to them than... Else. I remember reading... Uh, a guy I know wrote this story about you could go on these weekend retreats in San Francisco where you you, know, you had to give up all your electronics and, and just... Just talk to people, and, and these guys these can even pay like huge amounts of money to go away and sleep in a tent and not not have any um and, and not have any contact. Um, I mean, not have any electronics. It's like, dude, we call that camping, you know, in New England. We just, you know, what I mean. You go up to the White Mountains, and you can't get any signal on your phone. And
3: uh, anyway, uh, um, so we only got a minute left. Um, if where can people find you and uh um, what would you like them to know before you leave?
4: Oh, uh, please! Reach, I'm on Twitter at RealDanLyons, and uh, I guess uh, I hope they'll read the book and and give it a try, you know, and and maybe get a kick out of it. It's, you know, parts of it are pretty funny, and it's entertaining. So I hope they'll check it out.
3: And, and so, um, Dan, and any appearances you want to plug in the minute we have left?
4: Oh, uh, let me think. I'm going to London next week to uh, promote the book there. So if anybody's listening from England, uh, come to some of those events, I guess.
3: Yeah. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure having you, and um, check them out. The book is Disrupted. Um, My Misadventure in the Star bubble. Dan Lyons, definitely read it. Remember, and as I said, the Los Angeles Times said is the best book about Silicon Valley. Um, very quickly, as we're running out of time, um, check us out at the Internet Law Center. And um, as usual, follow us on our blog, cyberlawradio.wordpress, and on Twitter at Law Radio. Um, Today's Happy um, It's Kobe Bryant Day in LA Happy Kobe Bryant Day to you And we'll see you next week This is Bennett Kelly Have a great day And um, we'll see some of you At Silicon Beach Fest later today Thanks for joining us See you next week